You're listening to Minding the Brain with Dr. Kim Hellemans and Dr. Jim Davies. Episode 3, Marijuana. Here in Canada, there's a lot of talk and legislation that looks like it's going through that's going to be legalizing marijuana. So we wanted to talk today a little bit about the science behind marijuana, how it affects you from a neuroscience perspective. So, um, Kim, why don't we get started with one of the... I feel like something everybody has an opinion about, but uh, I you know, hope you can clear up the science of it, is uh, whether marijuana is addictive or not. Uh, so, yes. I'm going to say... Next uh, question. Next question. No, <laughs> Boom. Done. <laughs> uh, so, I, I believe it is. Um, I've done a lot of research... My own research hasn't actually focused on marijuana, but I have I've uh, done a lot of reading on the subject and a lot of my colleagues that study marijuana. And I guess maybe the best way to answer this is to answer what does addiction look like in the brain very briefly. Uh, so if a substance is addictive or has abuse potential, one of the things that it will do, so no matter how a drug works in the brain, every drug works very differently, uh, one of the final pathways that uh, the drug affects is something known as the reward circuit, which makes sense, right? So it activates um, the systems in the brain that normally are there to signal to the organism that something is feeling good. Uh, and so this pathway originates in a region of the brain known as the ventral tegmental area. It's a tiny cluster of neurons in the midbrain, and the VTA projects uh, its axons, so it's it's the fibers that send signals to other parts mm-hmm. of the brain, to another key region called the nucleus accumbens. And the nucleus accumbens, when the VTA fires and releases dopamine in the nucleus accumbens, boom, the organism feels pleasure. And so any substance that is addictive, so things like alcohol or nicotine, uh, have the effect where we have enhanced firing, VTA firing, to the nucleus accumbens. And sure enough, marijuana Okay, so this. are there pleasurable things that don't have VTA to nucleus accumbens? No. <laughs> so everything's addictive? <laughs> No. Uh, well, every so <clears throat> things that uh, activate that circuit have the possibility to to the behaviors of becoming compulsive, right? So, mm-hmm. um, food, sex, um, gambling are all behaviors that when we engage in them, uh, it acts it activates that pathway, right? So the VTA firing is enhanced. But the key with drugs, so things like heroin and marijuana and alcohol, is that they enhance the firing above and beyond what is normal uh, to a level that is what's what we say is pathophysiological, so uh, mm. beyond normal. Is there like a is there like a a sharp distinction between liking to do something and wanting to do something and it being compulsory or addictive, or is it a sort of a continuous scale? Like, I did we just draw sure like an arbitrary? Well, right. like I have you know a Vietnamese coffee every morning right. and I enjoy it, uh, and when I can't have it because I'm traveling or whatever. There's no problem, but I really well, want it. Caffeine's not addictive. I really ha! want it. <laughs> I really want it every morning. It's habit forming, but it's not addictive. Right. So, so is that is um? I guess what I'm asking is there is the difference between just a regular old habit and an addiction, something that is um, a clear cut distinction neuro- from the neuron perspective, or is it sort of like well, 
a little a continuous, you know, yeah. it, into a habit. Right. There, a little bit. I mean, caffeine actually doesn't enhance dopamine firing in the nucleus accumbens, believe it or not. It enhances it in the prefrontal cortex, which is why people are more alert and more paying attention. Um, and it also enhances dopamine in, in another part of the brain known as the dorsal striatum, which is involved in the formation of habits, habit learning, right? So imagine like every morning you get up and you brush your teeth mm. or that's a habit, mm. right? And that's the dorsal striatum is becoming engaged. So eventually we stop thinking about it, right? So the, the cortex is is left free to, to do other and more important things, right? right. So we're not always aware. Um, but I think to get back to your question, is there like kind of a continuum? A little bit, but there are other important factors that determine whether something is more or less addictive um, that is at a more of a pharmacological level. So, for example, crack cocaine is more addictive than snorting cocaine because crack cocaine, when you smoke it, uh, the absorption of the drug is almost instantaneous because of the method of administration, right? It's hitting your lungs, rich surface area. Um, so it is is absorbed into the lungs instantaneously and very rapidly distributed to the brain. So people who smoke crack cocaine will report that they feel high even before they put down the pipe. Versus snorting cocaine is um, you snort it and it has to be absorbed in the mucosa, the mucous membranes, and that takes about 20 minutes before you get peak absorption and then distribution up into the brain. So there are some substances that are more addictive, not necessarily because they enhance dopamine um, firing in the in the nucleus accumbens, but also the method of uh, the is it, is it just the temporal distance that makes it more addictive? Like you associate mm. smoking mm-hmm. more with a high because it's more temporally located and your mind is just built to make associations between... That's part of it, but it's also like if you look at like peak levels of um, drug, they're much, much higher in the brain if they're smoked versus... Okay, so there's that too. Yeah, there's it that. just makes me wonder it's if like uh, the same amount of marijuana in a brownie versus uh, a yeah, cigarette, yeah. the brownie would might be less addictive if the temporal Correct. thing were an issue. So edibles are, if, you know, if you're using that distinction, quote-unquote less addictive because if you consume edibles, it's more like 60 minutes till peak... Um, that's hmm. why, like, you know, if you're consuming edibles and you like eat a cookie and you're like, I'm not feeling anything, you eat another one, I'm not feeling anything, yeah, danger. Like two right. hours from now, you're gonna be sitting on the couch totally stoned. And adding the, in, interesting enough, um, putting cannabis products in a baked item, mm-hmm. when you put it in something oil, it enhances the absorption, right? So it's gotta be careful. Yeah. Well, it's a good thing that people who use drugs are good at uh, delaying gratification, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, Jim. So, so clever. How about, how about harm? is it harmful? All right, so we know it's addictive. It's, oh, wait, wait, maybe yeah, before we leave the yeah. addictive thing, I mean, I'm sure that I mean, this is there are very, probably a lot of people smoking oh, pot listening yes, to this, saying, getting no, really paranoid. Not. Well, they're getting paranoid, so how does... Of course. What are, what, how, what are some telltale signs that it might be a problem that, so in case people are... Sure, I mean, and it. it's important to mention that, um, you know, there are a number of drugs that are addictive, but not everybody develops an addiction, mm-hmm. right? So there are a number of people that can consume cannabis prod- products recreationally and never develop an addiction. Uh, some of the red flags uh, you're using alone is a big one, uh, you know, for any drug, mm. right? You're, you're sitting and drinking at home alone often, right? Um, and you're using to escape or avoid something, Right. Mm. So often there's a huge link between uh, addiction and mental health. Uh, so often 
what is common is people are using these particularly cannabis products to relieve anxiety because mm. uh, cannabis products, THC, which is the active ingredient in marijuana, Delta 9, Tetra, Hydro, Cannabinol, uh, has a massive an- anti-anxiety effect. Um, so people often are using it to So is, is it a bad is it a bad thing to do to treat your own anxiety with power? Uh, I'm going to say yes, it actually is. Uh, there's a lot of people who disagree. Uh, like scientists or uh, potheads? <laughs> people who smoke marijuana regularly often disagree. Uh, it's important to note that the Canadian Medical Association does not um, include medical marijuana, uh, does not include anxiety or anxiety disorders as something that should be uh, mar- medical marijuana should be prescribed for. That said, there's a lot of people who do obtain prescription marijuana for their anxiety. And the reason why it's bad, and I'll explain it, is yes, it's, it's very good at, at relieving anxiety. Um, but number one, right now, as it stands today, it's not recommended. And what that means is that it's not necessarily being, you're not necessarily being overseen by a physician with an appropriate dose, right? So these things are really important. This is why anxiety medicine, you're, you're, it's being overseen. You have somebody that's giving you a prescribed dose, et cetera. But also the key thing with marijuana is think of it this way. The more potent its effect on the nervous system, the more potent the compensatory response that the nervous system will engage in to try to bring the, the brain or the nervous system back to homeostasis, which is steady state. So we, we say in the addiction world, this is the concept of what's called the shifting baseline. Imagine in your head that somebody who's consuming cannabis products has a baseline anxiety uh, that's you know relatively high, okay, yeah. let's say. Um, and what happens when they consume marijuana um, or cannabis products? The anxiety goes down. This is this is the desired effect, right? When the next day or what have you, the next morning they wake up, their anxiety is actually going to be ramped up higher than the previous day. Because the, the brain is trying to compensate by, let's say, for example, and there's okay. a number of different <clears throat> possibilities, but lowering the number of cannabinoid receptors in the brain or decreasing the endogenous or, or the self-made production of these uh, of the what are called the endocannabinoids, uh, which are actually... Um, so it it's, sounds like it's part of habituation. Mm-hmm. Well, it's tolerance. Tolerance, tolerance, yeah, yeah. habituation, but so the the brain is trying to get back to normal, uh, so it's pulling down all all the response to the drug in the in the brain um, by engaging counter effects, and what happens is the next day withdrawal is essentially unmasking these counter effects. Um, so you know if you imagine a hangover, anytime you you can you engage in recreational drug use, the next day you feel pretty crappy, right? Yeah. I wouldn't know, but you okay. wouldn't know, but let's imagine you're a <laughs> I've heard, user. I've heard of You've hangovers. Heard, yes, <laughs> I've heard tell of these awful things, um, and that's because everything that you experience, the acute effects of the drug, so euphoria, mm. uh, in with in withdrawal from the drug, you experience the exact opposite, so dysphoria. So you feel happy while you're high, you feel horrible in the next day, and then that's that's your new baseline. So every time you're using cannabis products to relieve your anxiety you're actually making your baseline anxiety worse. Okay, and so the other treatments for anxiety hopefully don't do that. They do to to minor extent. Okay, so it's just but, worse with marijuana. Yeah, because it's so potent. So if you insist on using mm. marijuana to treat your anxiety, would a pharmacist know the dosage you should have? Can you just walk up to your pharmacist and ask what your dosage no. should be? No, they won't know that. With do- are doctors trained in that? No, not 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 presently. Right. Uh, 
and I should mention that there's other um, formula like compounds within the marijuana mm. plant that are probably better able to treat the anxiety. And that, that I think is the future, okay. right? That we it's more specific. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So. Cool. Well, yeah. all right. Well, yeah. how about this then? Mm. Um, now you convinced everybody that it's you know potentially addictive for some. Mm-hmm. Uh, how bad is that? Is marijuana bad for you? So, I've heard. I've heard, let me tell yeah. you what I've heard. Okay, I've heard tell me what you've heard. That smoking a joint has the effect of about twenty regular cigarettes on your lungs. Ooh, where are you getting? That's a. I, yeah. This is just stuff I hear. I, yeah, this yeah. isn't my area of expertise. I don't know if you know right. much about like the smoking, the actual smoking damage. You right. probably know more about the brain. Yeah, I knew more about the brain. I've heard that. I've heard it saps your ambition. Mm-hmm. I hear it makes mm-hmm. you more creative. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. makes you more chill and paranoid. I guess that's, that's yeah. What that's I, all. That's, that's what I've thought. All, all of those things uh, makes you so, wonder what we are in the universe. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And that's why people often will smoke and listen to Pink Floyd or watch <laughs> um, what's that guy uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson and they watch Cosmos, <laughs> Cosmos while they're high. While they're high. Oh, okay. Boom. <laughs> uh, so okay. So back to the lung. Yeah, I don't know that much about the lungs. So what makes cigarette smoking quite bad for you is not the nicotine. Nicotine is the psychoactive ingredient that makes you high, mildly high. Um, It's the carcinogens, right? The tars, right? That are, Mm. that are part of the manufacturing process of tobacco. Now, marijuana, anytime that you're burning something and inhaling it in your lungs, it's not a good plan, not a good idea. Um, This does, is harmful to the lung tissue. to compare, oh, it's as bad as 20 cigarettes, I don't think anybody, I don't think you can measure, really that. measure that or empirically demonstrate that. Um, so that's why some people will say vaporizing is better mm-hmm. um, and it has, it's less harmful on the lungs. All told, uh, marijuana has harms, but it is less harmful than some other drugs, for sure. I mean, there's a guy uh, named David Nutt out of the United Kingdom that has done many of this, um, much work looking at the harms associated uh, with drugs and drug use to the harms to oneself and harms to others. And by by large, alcohol is probably one of the most harmful drugs out there. But it's important to recognize that the more use, we say this in the addiction world, the more use, more harms. Hmm. So right now, alcohol is legalized and it's um, everywhere, everywhere, right? So the question of it being more harmful, um, is it also because it's more used, right? So it's hard to say whether when marijuana becomes legalized, are we going to start to see more um, proportionate increases in, in the harms? Hard to say. Maybe some people are going to be using that wouldn't otherwise use, hmm. for example. Um but yeah, I, marijuana is tough because, especially in in the using community, there's a lot of um, myth and and uh, yeah mythology around marijuana use because people become so tied to its medicinal properties, right? So that's what you hear, like you know, it can cure everything from AIDS to cancer to concussions. To what can it cure? Um, can't uh, yeah, all those things. <laughs> Yeah. What? It can? Uh, no, it oh, can't. Oh, it can't. Yeah, yeah. It can't no, cure it, anything. It can, it's, it's, <laughs> it can cure glaucoma. It's very effective in uh, childhood seizures. Glaucoma? Glaucoma. That's an eye I thing, know, right? That's wild, yeah, in, in the elderly. Um, hmm. 
Yeah. So it, it does absolutely have medicinal properties, as does alcohol to some extent, right? Mm. Um, it, it, red wine in particular, uh, some of the polyphenols are beneficial against heart disease. Um, but it's important to remember that every drug that humans use has, has had its origins in plants to some extent. And, and, and traditional cultures have used these plants to, um, for, to, to assist in, or aid with many um, diseases, disorders, maladies. So, for example, uh, the coca plant the leaves of the coca plant, which eventually through many, many steps in manufacturing can make cocaine, uh, the local um, populace choose it to help with altitude sickness, right? Because it's mm, found in, oh, okay. in, it grows in, in high um, countries with high elevation, high altitude. Uh, so marijuana does absolutely have some medicinal properties, but it is, it is harmful. So um, that's one of the pieces. Is there a link between marijuana and psychosis? Absolutely. There is a... Why don't you tell what psychosis is? Because that's yes. a popular idea of it, but so, what's a scientific idea? Psychosis is um, probably, it's, it's a feature of a, of a number of different psychiatric disorders, but it, it can be best described as a, a, when you have a psychotic break, you are no longer um, fully aware of yourself and in, uh, in, in your surroundings. So people who are psychotic, you know, think that... Um, Drake is the father of their unborn child. Uh, they um, may feel intensely that they are the incarnation of God or mm. Jesus. Uh, so it is a common feature in schizophrenia, which is one of the major mental health disorders. But psychosis can be a feature of a number of different mm, disorders like uh, bipolar disorder, um, uh in some cases, depression, in severe okay. depression. So, um, does marijuana make it worse or better? Ah, very interesting. So, it the, there's some evidence that people who are experiencing prodromal, which means prodromal is like a fancy word in psychiatry that indicates um, a period before the onset of, of full-blown symptoms in any disorder. So prodromal schizophrenia, you're getting kind of like <laughs> okay. mild symptoms. In that prodromal phase, there's evidence that uh, young men in particular um, are more likely to be smoking cannabis products to self-medicate some of these prodromal symptoms. Mm. But unfortunately what it does is actually exacerbate them, kind of like the concept of that shifting baseline with anxiety I was telling you before. So why, why do they think it it treats it? Does it just make them more comfortable with it, or does it actually reduce it a little bit? It, re it actually does reduce some of okay. the more negative symptoms associated with schizophrenia and psychotic disorders, which is kind of like the slowness of thought and catatonia, which is slowness of movement. Um, but some people actually become quite paranoid when they smoke. So this is interesting, right? Some people, it's, it, it helps them with these symptoms, and some people, it, makes, it drives their paranoia worse. Um, but it seems to be this, the link between cannabis smoking and uh, marijuana, um, sorry, schizophrenia or psychotic disorders is that there seems to be populations of people that have specific genes that put them at risk for the development of schizophrenia. And smoking cannabis acts as an epigenetic factor. So not like the genes may otherwise not be expressed, but when we smoke cannabis products, it 
unlocks those genes and they're more likely to be transcribed um, and therefore right. produce. It, can you like use 23andMe to find out if you have those genes? Do you know? I think so. Okay. So you could mm -hmm. actually find, that would be, yeah. you could, that would yeah. be one use of that <laughs> service, know, you know, I know, I know. to say, oh, maybe I shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. Well, the, the red flag again is if you're experiencing uh, paranoia in the acute if you're smoking, you're getting paranoid. Right. That's so, a, that's so, so, um, psychosis is everything from like some of the things you were talking about sound to me like delusions, but they also lead to like outright hallucinations, right? And yeah, and and, and, and the paranoia is is often, but not always, a part of psychosis, right? Right. And ideas of reference where you think right. that you are. Yeah. Everybody, everything out there is everything's related, related to, to you. you. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. If there for a reason. Yeah. Um, and and it sounds like the because marijuana also seems to make you paranoid. It sounds like it might make that yeah well when you, when you think about it the paranoia and psychosis that's observed in in psychotic disorders like schizophrenia are due to very high elevations of, of dopamine mm -hmm. uh, particularly in er the areas i was talking about earlier this are parts of the striatum uh, whereas you actually get lower levels of dopamine in the prefrontal cortex okay so, what are your what are your opinions on legal legalization of marijuana? I mean, it may sound like I'm really down on marijuana, but I actually think legalization is a good thing, and I'll tell you why. Legalization lets us talk about it, right? And I strongly uh, believe in education, and I have a very harm reduction approach to uh, drugs and drug use. Harm reduction philosophies, if no one out there is familiar with it, is essentially the belief that you can't stop some things from happening. You can't stop teenagers from having unprotected sex. You can't stop uh, uh, people from trying and experimenting with drugs. So why don't we give them the tools to educate themselves and then they can make the decisions around their own use. And up until this point, the government has, um, marijuana is, is, has been an illicit or illegal substance. So there is no ability f to provide education on it. And the way I see it is that there is there are harms associated with use of the drug, so why don't we educate people around those harms, and then they can become better informed and make the decisions around their use. And it's also harder to get uh, the right to do studies on illegal drugs, isn't it? Yes. So research is held back by the, That's right. the fact that it's criminalized. Yeah, and this is particularly the case, interestingly, with hallucinogens. Uh, yeah, like because LSD. yeah, I've been I, you know yeah. I've looked at like the few studies of LSD and stuff mm -hmm. out there. It's been related to some of the stuff I've been mm -hmm. looking at, but it's apparently cool. it's incredibly hard to get the right to. That's right. Even yeah. run a study on yeah, it. Yeah, so we right. should do a whole other show on the future of um, mental health and addiction treatment with hallucinogens. That is St a great idea. This stuff is wild. All right. Well, thank you so much, and thanks to everybody for listening. Minding the Brain is edited by me, Mike Contos, and brought to you by CKCU, Carleton University's Faculty of Arts and Social Sciences, and made possible in part by Immune Systems, doing more for human and veterinary health than all of medical science through a clever combination of gene expression and non-neural learning. Theme music is Plucked by Michael Terry. More episodes and show notes available at mindingthebrainpodcast.com.